Hello and welcome to What Is My Podcast About? Today we are talking about Stranger Things. So for those of you who are unaware and just kind of stumbled onto this podcast, this is a podcast where every episode we choose a topic, we discuss it at length, and we try to decide if that's what we're going to make our podcast about. Uh, so once again, this week we're talking about Stranger Things. My name is Peter Akerley and I'm joined as always by my lovely co-hosts, Matthew Grace. Hello. And Keith Ramsey. Hey. All right. So, Stranger Things, we've all watched the series. We all love it, right? Yep. Uh, Matt? Um, c- can we go back to your earlier suggestion of uh, the topic of Teletubbies? Are you Game of Thronesing us again, Matthew? Well, he- here's the thing. I don't have Netflix, it's not on any streaming sites, and you guys neglected to tell me that there was a horror tag attached to the series. It was... For your own benefit, we know if we told you there was horror tag attached to it, you never would have gotten around to watching it. That's true. Uh, I don't think you got past the... I don't think you even got to the first zombie Resident Evil. Uh, no. You got to what? Like a shadow of a zombie? You're like, all right, cool. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even a shadow of a zombie. It was just like a shadow of a humanoid figure. Watched the opening credit and went through one door. Yeah. Pretty much. All right, cool. So we got clearly strong basis in the show for this episode. So, Matt, I take it you're mostly going to follow the conversation and add your own fine points, and much like Game of Thrones, you're going to add in some points that me and Keith have never thought of and blow our minds? Mostly, but don't uh, don't expect too much from me this time. You know, I, I kind of want to see if we can convince Matt to be in like really excited to watch Stranger Things before this is done. I it mean... is a phenomenal show, and I'm not even a huge fan of horror, and I fucking loved it. And to be fair with the series, too, the horror element isn't as core as it appears to be. Yeah. The first season, the is very much it does kind of play on those tropes, but moving forward through it, second and third seasons, not really got like horror as a main theme. Yeah, the first season, and I'd argue even like the first half of the first season is probably the most horror centric part of the whole series. And then the more the show goes on, the less it focuses on the horror, and the more it focuses on kind of the character development and the action. It turns into horror in the same way that Monster Squad is a horror movie. <laughs> I mean. I did watch plenty of recaps and summaries on YouTube, and for the first season anyway, there were some very disturbing and horrific moments, like a slug coming out of kids' mo- or dead bodies' mouth, creatures climbing through walls, and just general terrible terror and stuff. Very unsettling to watch at the time. <laughs> but I did get intrigued in the characters, what they were doing, and I do kind of want to know what happens to them. So... When I get access to Netflix, I probably will try to suffer through it. <laughs> I I like the sound of that, Matt. I like the sound of you suffering through Stranger Things. <laughs> I'm sure the internet agrees it's just the kind of thing you suffer through. So, Keith, did you have anything you wanted to talk about with regards to Stranger Things today? Uh, it's not a general, like, singular topic, I would say. Uh, more so just the series leading up to this point and where it's going based off what happens in this uh, season. But also just kind of some things that are here and there that are like little nods to certain things or allusions to things. All right. And that sounds fascinating. I really want to talk about the upside down and kind of its uses throughout the show. And also a whole bunch of fascinating fan theories I've been reading online about what the upside down actually is. Oh, definitely. And I want to refute the shit out of like two thirds of them. (laughs) Uh, but for now, I think we can jump right in and just start talking about the show and maybe start with a little bit of a recap for those of you who haven't watched the show and are listening to this podcast, which I'm assuming is a solid, assuming this table is indicative of the population of whole, I'm assuming a third of the people listening to this podcast have not watched the show. <laughs> a fair assumption. That's pretty good. 
so essentially the show starts off, uh, it's pretty much 80s nostalgia heavy. We follow a group of kids that are just enjoying kid stuff, I guess, in a sense, when stuff starts getting weird. And by weird, I mean one of them goes missing, and then people start going missing and suggested possible monster in another dimension. So a little strange, if you will. Yeah, well, there's stranger things. Yeah, there's a few things that are a little bit strange. Um, So, yeah, it kind of jumps off with two main weirdnesses happening. One is one of their childhood friends going missing after a 14-hour D&D marathon. He gets lost in a storm. Gets lost in a storm. And around the same time, a little girl appears who's the same age as all the kids, who has weird, strange mind powers. And it's just kind of the juxtaposition of losing their friend, and also the discovery of this new person and trying to unravel the mystery that's tied these two people together. And at this point, this is where the first season kind of splits into essentially three main story plot lines. We have the kids trying to defeat this monster with help of this mysterious girl, we have the teenage characters, which are pretty much just in a slasher movie. And then we have the adult characters dealing with, like, government conspiracy stuff. Yeah, and all three of them have their own little ties towards uh, the kind of villainy at this point. With the adults trying to deal with this government conspiracy, and their whole assumption is that that is what has caused Will to go missing, is the government kidnapping Will for some reason and replacing him with a fake dummy corpse at one point. Which, which was filled with foam. <laughs> Which was not a great dummy. Uh, two, there's the kind of teens have their whole plot of like, yeah, something's going wrong. People are going missing. Where the fuck is Barb? And they don't realize it, but they are kind of solving the whole mystery of the upside down and the Demogorgon uh, without realizing that that's what they're working towards. Yeah. Just kind of all trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. And slowly coming to the conclusion of that. And, and whereas the kids actually have all the information from the beginning and know there's some shady shit going on, know that the Demogorgon is real, and yet don't know exactly how or what. And kids have all the information and none of the means to do anything about it. Well, that's kind of like how the nice thing of how the series goes out, too, is all the characters, even though their stories and plots are kind of in different spots, they all combine together at the ending, climax, and then solve the problem themselves. Now, season two, on the other hand, moving into that... Will's back, but he's having PTSD in a sense that we find it is not just PTSD, but literally he, the gate's opening again and he's got a connection to it. Yeah, he's being influenced by a being on the other side. He was, what, a 10-year-old kid? Yeah. And he was in this un, or this upside down for an entire week by himself, just trying to survive. Essentially. Yes. That would do horrible things to anyone's mind, especially a child. Definitely. Yeah, the PTSD is definitely a reasonable assumption for everyone in the show, and it's a reasonable explanation for everything that kind of happens to him emotionally. Uh, But yeah, he's there for a week, and then we end up finding out that he has been inflicted upon by this big bad in the other dimension, and using the trend they set up in season one of naming the big bad after D&D villains. This one's now referred to as the Mind Flare because of its penchants for kind of enslaving the creatures around it, controlling their minds, and then using them to invade the other world without having to invade it itself. Now, for this season, second season it is, uh, it does take a bit of an interesting few different methods of going through it, whereas the first season was really kind of three separate stories combining into one. Season two was kind of just a straight narrative but with different characters doing different things at different points of the narrative leading up to this one. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people didn't feel as strongly about season two as they did with season one. 
Uh, but it ultimately leads back to all the characters still combining at the end to uh, fight against the big bad and close the gate again. Yeah, I kind of completely agree in that it didn't have that feel of different plot lines that add together to the same conclusion, but more so all the characters going through the same plot line just at their own pace. And it's kind of different characters' perspectives of the same events rather than different characters going through completely different stories and happening to come to the same conclusion at the end. And now, of course, there were different plot lines throughout it as well, but it wasn't like a continuation. So, for example, we had... Uh, L going off with the other number of children. Going which, to Kali in Chicago. Yeah, so it was like, it was a different narrative on its own, not connected. But like, that was the characters throughout this, like a character would have one off situation. Like there was the one off situation with, you know, the new kid in town, Max. And yeah. her older brother, which kind of in a way adds to the story. But it's not like a parallel story moving that leads into it. It's just kind of like, oh, that's there for a second. And then it's the main story again. Uh, there's the story where Nancy and John go to talk to some big conspiracy theorist to figure out what's going on and end up having sex while they're there and realizing that they're in love with each other. That kind of stuff where it's it's plot... I'd argue they have different plot points, but they don't have their own kind of plot lines because yep. they still all kind of follow the same story together. And then th- season three, in a sense, goes back to the roots of first season and then, again, introduces the idea of like the three different groups going through their own stories uh, back into to solve what's going on, essentially. Uh, though for this one, it's not exactly three groups. It's actually four groups now in season three. Yes, because we have group one is Joyce and Hopper. Joyce being mad about magnets and yeah. assuming that the magnets are a government conspiracy. Yeah, uh, now, now uh, one thing about this uh, with Joyce catching on to things. Again, in this season, like the first two seasons, she's like, something's going on. I know it. I can feel it. And they're all like very hesitant, like, oh no, Joyce, you've been through a lot. You think at this point they would be like, Joyce freaking out about Meg's like this this is probably something. We should we, at we should at least look into what's going on right now. <laughs> Not, yeah, Joyce, you're crazy. It's Meg. If they stop working. So that's one of the groups that's going through their own story. And once again, it plays out very much government conspiracy. They're all under the assumption that it's actually the same government group in the same lab reawakening and doing the same group, uh, doing the same activities. Then we have... John and Nancy. John and Nancy with their kind of journalistic interpretations of they find a story about a woman who found diseased rats, and then they kind of discover that some weird disease is spreading from rats to people, and something bad is happening, and there's the upside down is involved in some way. Also, great character that shows up at the newspaper, Jake Busey. Yep. Who, as soon as he was asshole, even for a second, it's like, he's dead. He's going to die in this. You don't put Jake Busey in there and have him not be an asshole and not die. Yeah. Then we have probably my favorite of the four plot lines was Steve Harrington, Robin, and Dustin. Oh, and Erica. Don't forget Erica. Oh, and Erica. Erica was maybe my least favorite part about that group, though. (laughs) Uh, The four of them discovering that there's Russian spies beneath the city. Yeah. (laughs) uh, decoding the Russian transmission so that they can sneak into a Russian base only to discover that the Russians are reopening the gate. And and now the funniest thing I find about this is Steve very much is a character you're not supposed to like at the beginning of the whole series, but he grows on you and is becoming a great character. And he's portrayed as like the cool guy, the good looking badass with great hair. Yeah. And the funny thing about this is he spends the whole season wearing a singular ice cream outfit. Yeah, he's one He's char- wearing a sailor outfit. He's the, the only character... Him and Robin are the only characters that don't change their outfit once throughout the whole series. And they're wearing little sailor uniforms. And it's just hilarious. And then uh, for the final group, we have the rest of the kids. So Mike, Max, Luke, Lucas, uh, and Eleven. Will. Yeah. And they're all together... 
kind of, she finds out, Eleven finds out that it's opened again, the gate, the monster's back, and they're trying to just <laughs> figure out what's going on with that pretty much for the whole season. Yeah, it's kind of weird to me because for the first two seasons, this is the main difference I found between season one and season three, is for the first two seasons, the group that contained Mike and Eleven seemed to have the most information about what was going on out of everyone. Whereas for whatever reason in season three, they seem to have the least amount of information and it was only when people started coming back together and they started getting information from other people around them that they started coming back into the loop and started... They were still a powerhouse team, but it required other people informing them of what was going on. Yeah, for this one, it was very much Dustin and Steve's group that seemed to have almost all the information. Yeah. Or at least the big chunk of it. And then, uh, again, it was at that point, Joyce uh, and Hopper and... Nancy and John had, like, the just under the surface, like, they knew something was going on, but not exactly to what level. Yeah. And I think, I like how they both had different amounts of understanding. Like, Joyce and Hopper both knew that there was some shady government thing going on at this point, and Nancy and John both had the amount of information of, there's something going on with the Upside Down, and neither one of them had the information, like, the whole information. Meanwhile... Steve, Erica, <laughs> Dustin, and Robin had all the information way too early and were just getting the shit tortured out of them for it. I do think uh, this season had, season three had some of my favorite moments throughout the entire series, oh, definitely. though. Like uh, when Dustin finally comes back and meets up with Steve Harrington and Robin throws in the line of, how many children are you friends with? <laughs> that was phenomenal. <laughs> There's also the moment when uh, Steve, Dustin, Erica, and Robin are all beneath in the Russian secret base. And, like, Steve and Dustin start, like, secretly having a conversation of, do you think this is it? I, I hope not. Do you think they know what they're doing? And then, like, Robin and Erica are like, wait, you've dealt with stuff. What the hell is going on? And it's just that moment of, like, them having a private conversation and being like, oh, no. We're the two that have all of the information right now, and we have to give that information to everyone else around us. Or was it uh, one of the early plot points is, like, we find out Dustin was gone for summer camp, and then when he comes back, he's like, oh, yeah, I got a girlfriend when I was out on camp. And everyone's like, oh, no, definitely didn't get a girlfriend. That's a lie. It's like, yeah, she's hotter than Phoebe Cates, you know, the, the lead actress from, what was it? Oh, uh, she was the female lead in Gremlins. Yep. And then she was also, I, I can't remember if she was a lead, but uh, Fast Times. She was a major character. She wasn't a lead, though, yeah. in Fast Times. And I just love how everyone else is like, like, surface level. They're like, yeah, sure, wow, way to go, Dustin. And, like, secretly behind Dustin's back, they're like, I don't know if this is true or not. I'm not going to tell it to him because I don't want to wreck his confidence. And then, like, it's revealed that he actually does have a girlfriend uh, that he met over uh, in science camp. And yep, it was Susie. just Susie. And their conversation over the radio is just phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and, and that was like, there were so many nods to certain things just like throughout. I think feel like it was most of the children's plot line where it was just like, hey, remember this thing from the 80s type stuff? Like uh, we have the incident, I think it's in the last three episodes where they're getting the fireworks and nursing the wound that Eleven has. And they have the whole debate about, about Coke. New Coke. It's like New Coke, classic Coke. Yeah, and Lucas is like, it's just like, uh, I forget what he compares it to, but he's like, you know you love the classic and it's always fantastic, but that New Coke, it's just so much better and you gotta acknowledge that fact. It's like, is Coke trying to sell me New Coke again? Oh, I loved that moment. There's a lot of scenes like alluding to other movies too, I found. 
Uh, one of the big ones, uh, for example, is, again, when we're talking about that big payoff with Susie, the big group of teens and children are getting chased down the street by one of the monsters in a very like Jurassic Park-esque way when he needs to get uh, the information to get the code. Uh, I can't remember the mathematical formula. He needed uh, Euler's constant, I believe it was. It was something constant. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, but essentially, he's like, oh, I can't remember, but Susie would know. And she makes him sing the never-ending story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's this am- amazing scene of just them running away from this giant monster. The thumps in the background. At this point, Hopper uh, and uh, Joyce and uh, the uh, conspiracy theorist guy are all in the Russian base, ready to, like, it's just like a suicide mission. It's just over the radio. It's just showing all the characters while these two are singing never-ending story. Yeah. And, like, I just love it because, like, you can see the other child characters at this moment when he starts singing over the radio, Never Ending Story, and they're all in the moment of, like, I could die tonight, but if I don't, I have some amazing ammunition against Dustin now. <laughs> and then when we get the adults, it's like, man, I wish I was dead right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. And then uh, for some other references, too, uh, throughout the movie, we have the singular Russian menace chasing after pretty much Hopper's group and Dr. Alexei, who they end up freeing from the basement of that house. And wasn't that Russian assassin... I guess portrayed or copying essentially Arnold Schwarzenegger from yeah, the Terminator. It was very yeah, much he the was, Terminator. The fact that he didn't speak, just followed them, had immense strength that was never fully explained. Uh, Hopper during the uh, mirror maze just unloads a gun into him when he gets back up. It's like okay, he had a bulletproof vest, but still, still the fact that he's not even like wincing from the pain. He's just standing back up and pulling off his bulletproof vest, bulletproof vest with the cliche fight in the mirror maze. Oh, yeah, that was a really good one. There was a lot of good. Hopper scenes and just I feel as a total and I might be wrong on this but I feel like season three the cinematography and like some of the shots and just scenes were just so good yes I I definitely feel like they stepped it up a notch for season three in terms of quality that being said you did mention there being some great Hopper scenes I also feel like there were some fucking terrible Hopper scenes in season three as well I feel like for the first third of the season Hopper's main plot device or his purpose in the plot was to be the asshole that nobody liked in the story. And it was just like, he was the one who was slowing down everyone else's progress. Mike, you can't spend time with Eleven. In fact, you gotta make her so mad at you that she wants to break up with you, so you guys can't talk for the first I third mean, of the season. I mean, to be fair, you might have been trying to make him the asshole of the series, but because like, him reacting with Joyce and other characters, like, okay, he's an asshole, but his interactions with Mike and Eleven just made me love the character so much more than what I did in the past. It's like, okay, keep the door open an inch, and he's like, the part where, man, Mike was actually the character I hated so much in this one. Because when he sits down to talk to Eleven and Mike about boundaries, and then Mike starts, like, being an asshole to him. Mike starts whispering into Eleven's ear during the conversation, and they start laughing. And you see that moment in Hopper's head, it's like, oh, okay, this is how you're going to play it? And puts him to the car, like, oh, no, is my grandma okay? It's like, yeah, your grandma's fine. <laughs> but I'm going to fucking kill you. Uh, yeah, uh, I love, I, so Hopper struck me as, like, a bit of an asshole for the first third of the season. And there were definitely some moments where I was like, wow, he exists... Like, I was almost convinced that he had become one of the Mind Flayers flayed, and, like, he was just, like, not knowing what was going on, just being an asshole to the people around him, and then, like, it was going to be revealed by the end of the season that he had been flayed by the Mind Flayer. Uh, luckily, that's not how it played out. But then, yes, you're right. Mike was just a dick for most of the season. Yep. Just unbearable in all of his behaviors. There was him being a shit to Hopper while Hopper was trying to have a serious conversation with him about boundaries. There is him refusing to tell the truth to Eleven. 
uh, him coddling Eleven every time she tried to use her powers. She's like, no, don't use your powers. We can figure this out by being children. It's like, no, you've been through this two seasons already. You know she can handle herself. Stop trying to baby her. But also, like, I appreciate that he was there looking out for Eleven. But I just feel like... I feel like he became a whiny bitch in this season. Oh, very much. And to be fair, uh, Max and Lucas doing their thing in the background didn't help too much, but it was still pretty funny. It's like, what do I do? I didn't expect her to break up with me. And it's like, do you know how many times Max has broken up with me? Six! Yeah. And like the, those simultaneous conversations going on where it's like Lucas explaining like how Max's behavior and Max trying to explain Lucas's behavior to Eleven is phenomenal. It's like... Sometimes I just break up with him because I need a break and then I take him back like a couple days later. And now going back to season three, like uh, it starts off very much with uh, the idea is that the Mind Flayer, part of it was trapped in our world when uh, essentially the gate was closed in season two. Yes, because the gate was closed, killing all the Mind Flayer slaves at that point, except one of his tendrils were still was still occupying Will. And when Will was fully excised... Uh, the gate had already been closed, so the tendril couldn't go back to the Mind Flayer. It was instead trapped in our world. Yeah, and then essentially what happens is because the Russians are doing the experiments in their secret under-the-mall laboratory, uh, they end up giving power back to the tendril, and it starts feeding. So it kind of works its way up the chain. First it gets into the rats, the rats end up infecting and bringing back materials, which allow it to infect other people. And then that eventually leads to essentially the primary flayed, which Billy. is Billy, Max's older brother. Billy Hargraves. Now, I, I, I don't know why, but in every season, the teenage asshole, I feel like, is going to die at the end. So at the end of season one, I was like, oh man, Steve's going to die. He's going to be doing asshole things, and he's going to die with the party. And then in the second season, like, oh, it's going to be Billy. Billy's going to die. And then Billy doesn't. And then Billy ends up not becoming a, like a hero character, per se. Uh, he ends up just kind of gets his, the shit kicked out of him and then continues being an asshole into season three. Uh, and he's very much playing up, like, the ladies' man. There's the opening shot of him walking into the pool, and all the mothers just like, Hey, Billy! Him, for what I can assume, attempting to seduce... Uh, Mike's mother? Mike's mother. Solely to spite Mike, from what I can tell. That's what I assume, because he, he hates all those kids. Like, <laughs> eh, Mike's mother, eh? Yeah. You're the mother of a child I hate. I'm gonna fuck you just to piss off that child I hate. <laughs> uh, and uh, he ends up, well, going to said rendezvous with Mike's mother... Ends up having an accident on the side of the road. Ends up right next to the facility that the Mind Flayer Tendril is kind of just building up in. And looks like Mike's dead. Yep. So yeah, Billy gets... Oh, not Billy. Mike, yeah. Uh, not not Mike, Mike, Billy. Billy gets flayed by the Mind Flayer. And goes through the rest of the season being the primary... An- well, not the primary antagonist. I call him the secondary antagonist who's like... The one who enacts all the Mind Flayer's plans. Flayer so that, Prime. Yeah, so that he can flay others and he can be the source of all the evil in the world. And now, to be fair, it doesn't look like it takes him over immediately to the fullest capacity. Because there's that moment when he gets back at the pool and he's starting to go through the issues of being in the heat. Where uh, Mike's mother comes up to him and apologizes for not showing up. It's like, oh, I have a family and all that. And it looks like he just straight up murders her. But then it's like, oh, no, that was in his head. And he, he has some control. He seems to be able to fight it. Yeah. But essentially the heat and, like, the disorienting just gets to him. And he ends up kidnapping the other girl at the uh, pool. That's the yeah. first uh, the lifeguard. Yeah, the other lifeguard. He kidnaps her while attempting to kind of cool himself off in the showers and gets disrupted by yeah, her. And then it's uh, bring her to me. And he grabs her and 
makes another uh, flight, and this just kind of starts skyrocketing it out through. And the they end up flaying most of the city by that point. Or not most of the city, but a whole bunch of key players. So they flay the head of the newspaper so that they can control whether or not the story gets out. Yeah, and at they, this point, uh, Nancy and John had figured out there's something going on with the rats eating chemicals. Uh, at first, I thought it was like they're explosive rats. Like, my flight was like, oh, going to do like strategic explosive attacks against the people. Yeah. Nope, just eating chemicals, because chemicals are the baseline of what it needs to build itself Apparently, of. Or maybe the chemicals help that they were eating help to break down the bodies to make them easier to reassemble into the Mind yeah, Flayer's form. Because essentially it's this tiny flayed tendril thing, and then through eating the rats and strategically eating people here and there, it ends up growing massive compared to what it is at the beginning. Yeah, because what, the uh, antagonist of the second season, the Mind Flayer... It's found out that it's the hive mind, essentially, that controls all of the gorgons, the demigorgons, the monsters from the yeah, upside yeah, down. Yeah, it's that. control of everything on the uh, upside down. Uh, now, this thing has never fully came out of the upside down, though. It's always been upside down, but it will send through kind of feelers into our world, which one of the ones is what he used to control Will, uh, as well as uh, move the demodogs and the demigorgons into the play essentially and yeah isn't it trying to make its way into the real world so it can destroy the real i think world it's sorts? it seems like it's trying to prepare at the very least hawkins so that it can move into hawkins and, yeah, and that, the whole world from there. that's something even we get some information of what its plans are in the season as well when it's communicating with 11 where yeah. its goal is to kill 11 its biggest threat and all of her friends yeah once 11 opened up the gate and then later closed the gate it realized that 11 was the most powerful thing in her dimension, and so it had to kill her so that nothing would stand in its way of taking over the dimension. Yeah, and then from there, it's not quite forward on what its plan is. It sounds like it wants to assimilate it, possibly, and kind of, like, bring everything into its control and not necessarily destroy yeah, everything. From yeah. what I gathered from the recaps and summaries I watched, it seemed that in order to get into the real world, it was trying to flay as many people as it can to combine them into some sort of amalgam it could control as its own body yeah, in the real world. Which is kind of like what the uh, Mind Flayer that we fight that they fight in this season kind of is, though it's a small fraction of it. Yes, it's a much smaller version of the Mind Flayer, but built in its image out of the flayed that it has captured. Yeah, because this one's about the size of like probably a truck. Whereas when we see the big flare in season two, it's easily standing over the size of what the mall would be. Yes. It's looming over the entirety of Upside Down Hawkins. Pretty much. So yeah, we get kind of that image of the mind flare. I kind of want to talk, now that we've talked about the gate between the realms a little bit, I want to talk about that because we see in season one that through flashbacks and storytelling that Eleven accidentally Dentally opens up the gate to the Upside Down because what initially happens is she uses her powers to spy on beings that are near or far to, like, use information. It's presumably because this is Cold War time. Yeah, Cold War, they're spying on Russians. They're trying to spy on the Russians. Whatever government agency took Eleven and started doing all these mind control tests on her. Yeah, so she's trying to spy on Russians. She ends up accidentally spying on a Demogorgon at one point. And through this connection with the Demogorgon, opens the first gate. And then without any direct intervention, the gate kind of stays as is. And then they end up fighting and killing the uh, Demogorgon throughout Season 1. At the end of Season 1, we find out that Eleven kind of destroys the Demogorgon and it looks like she disappears. It's later revealed that she's actually transported to the Upside Down and she has to go from the Upside Down 
back to her dimension. And I'm pretty sure it's this action that causes the gate to become unstable. And we see in season two, the gate's slowly expanding and constantly growing bigger and bigger. Yeah, because she literally just forced things through the gate there at the end of season one and not really using the gate that was active. She just forced her own gate, essentially. Yes. So she goes through the gate. It starts expanding and more and more things keep pushing their way through. At the end of season two, she collapses the gate. And so in season three, we see the gate is no longer at all stable in the sense that they need to have this Russian laser device constantly powering to open the gate. And to be fair, that doesn't help much either. It doesn't help much either. We're told by Alexei, who is a scientist who is working for the Russians to develop this key, as he calls it, the key, uh, that they initially tried to do this in Russia. And even using this giant powerful device they weren't able to keep the gate open because uh, it's not the place where the uh, veil had previously been pierced, so it wasn't weak enough there. So they had to bring their device to Hawkins, and even there, powering this device, it essentially opened a tiny hole through which the Mind Flare could awaken, but not fully act. Which opens up another interesting idea of how did the Russians know about all this? How did they know about Hawkins and specifically... The Demogorgons and all that control. Well, that original organization back in season one and the person who was running it, do you ever learn who he belonged to? Well, it's the U.S. government because the group that shows up in the second one is trying to take care of well. It's the same organization, but a non-evil leader. Yeah, it's the higher-ups have replaced whoever was in charge of that one with... It's Sam Owens is the doctor they put in charge of this one, and he's a good scientist air quotes around that because he definitely has some shady shit like he continues to investigate the gate rather than just trying to keep it sealed yeah they send a few people through that don't come back do you ever learn who the person in charge originally in season one was affiliated with because it was the uh, same u.s government it was he could have had connections with russia in some way potentially he could have but i think it is uh stated because they were using that to spy on russians that it was explicitly the American government and not the Russians. Okay. Because I, yeah. I know, I think I read somewhere that they have plans to bring him back as a, a villain again. Well, that, that was one of the theories, too, that I heard that uh, essentially the reason they would have the information is because we see him get jumped, but not, nothing beyond that, essentially. Yeah, you never see him die. So the idea is that he might be captured by the Russians. Now, it could be something where the veil that goes into the Upside Down it's mainly only in Hawkins we ever see it, but you can assume it probably travels further than that. Yeah. And it could be that he ended up there and managed to plop his way out somewhere. Could have been in Russia. And that's essentially what ends up, you know, them getting the information from by capturing him. I don't... So my inclination is that the Russians don't have this kind of direct line of information in the form of the old scientists, just because of the fact that they seem hellbound on building this key, but they never really go into specifics of why they want to do it. And like, I don't think the old scientist had any reason for wanting access to the upside down. I think he mostly just wanted access to Eleven and her powers and building the uh, access in the upside down would not have been helpful to him. So I suspect what probably happened is... Eleven closing the gate or the gate being at its peak openness created some massive weird energy spike or something that they could detect in Russia and they tried to recreate it in Russia and then when it didn't work to recreate it there they had to follow the so- uh, the energy readings back to their source. And, and to be fair as well, 
they have had success in Russia to opening the gate because, as we find out in the end credits, they have a Demogorgon. Yes. Do we want to talk about the end credits for a second? Because there were some pretty crazy things that happened in the end. Well, not super crazy, but there were some interesting things that happened in the end credits. Yeah. Well, uh, we can go into some of the theories of, like, well, essentially what happens at the end of the story and then going into what theories are. So, as I was saying earlier, there's the big part. Pretty much the ending begins with uh, the showdown at the mall leading into Dustin singing Never End of the Story, which was one of the great scenes of the series. Yep. Uh, so, when we have the adults down in the uh, facility... Uh, essentially, they have to turn two keys at the same time to cause the machine to override, kind of like what happened in the opening of the series, uh, where essentially it fries everything in the room, exploding the machine, and shuts the gate. Uh, effectively shutting down the power source and will kill anyone who's in there. Yeah. Uh, so, what ends up happening is Terminator Man shows up, Hopper and him have a big fight, they end up breaking the machine, which causes like this flare thing, so he can't leave the room, so Joyce has to make the call of, do I turn the machine on and kill Hopper, but pretty much stop the monster from chasing the children, which it's doing at this exact moment, ready to kill them. Uh, parallel to this, we also have the big showdown with the Mind Flayer Beast, where uh, Billy has captured Eleven, he's holding her, and he's about to sacrifice her to the monster, but she ends up getting through to him, because uh, she does have a moment where she hops into his mind and sees memories which brings up what I think is uh, Eleven's greatest superpower. So we see throughout the series she has telekinesis powers and the fact that she can physically manipulate things with her mind. She also has some amount of telepathy in that she can kind of read other people's minds a little bit. Uh, but clearly her greatest power is Martha-ing in that like she can be holding on to her greatest enemy of all time and read their mind to the point where she knows the exact phrase of word she has to say yeah. to turn this enemy into an ally. Greatest superpower of all so time. So she ends up bringing back memories, his happy memories of his mother, uh, the day on the beach that was really good to him before, you know, whatever happened to his mother happened. Success said possibly the father killed her. Yeah, the mother definitely wanted to leave the father because the father was abusive, and I think that didn't work out too well for the mother. Uh, so that ends up making him realize the bad stuff he's doing, and he needs to protect Max, who is also there. And uh, Billy gets a badass moment where he faces off against the, Dem uh, the Demogorgon Mind Flayer, he and he punches into its mouth. <laughs> he physically holds back the Mind Flayer, punches into its mouth, and I was like, yes, badass. This is the moment I've been waiting for for Billy for all this time. Because you were saying that the teenage douchebag always kind of, you feel like they're going to die. And then they have that turnaround where they yeah. become a good guy. Yeah, after Steve Harrington had that moment of, like, he went from being the biggest dick in season one to, like, a super cool guy that everyone loved. I was just waiting the entire time for Billy to have that moment where he went from asshole to beloved character. And then he, like, you see that moment where he starts resisting the Mind Flayer and fighting against him. Like, this is his moment. This is when everyone's going to love him. And then the Mind Flayer pierces the shit out of his heart, and he dies. Oh, yeah, I felt like he was going to die at that point when he starts, you know, punching the Mind Flayer. Yeah. It's like, okay, Eleven has used a copious amount of psychic energy to hold this thing back, and Billy's just going to punch it to death? Yeah, wasn't well, counting on that. Billy's got some pretty sick muscles, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he brought a whole artillery. Yeah. And but, then, uh... This fight, they end up defeating the Mind Flayer, corresponding with uh, Joyce turning both the keys to explode the room and essentially seal the gate. Yes. So, Joyce making this decision has a couple of key implications. Uh, first of them being that in making this decision, she's choosing to save the kids and the town 
by killing Hopper, because Hopper is trapped in the room with the machine. I mean, to be fair, Hopper does give her the nod, which yeah. is like, the, the, the character It's like, oh, I know I have to die now. It's okay, you can do this. <laughs> I believe in you. You have to do what's right. But fuck that noise. He doesn't have to die, because we end up seeing in a post credit scene that uh, he didn't die in the explosion. While the gate was still open, he jumps through the gate, to the upside down. And now, to be fair, I, I know you're going to mention it's the end credit scene where they say not the American. Now, to be fair, I'm not entirely convinced that that is Hopper they're talking about. But I am with you. I don't think Hopper is dead because the first time we see this machine explode at the opening, it pretty much crispies and liquefies everyone in the room, depending on vicinity. And and it doesn't completely evaporate them. Like, there's yeah. still remnants left and, over. And uh, when Joyce and Conspiracy Theory Guy are investigating this room after they blow it... The spot where Hopper was is empty, but there was also other people that entered the room, and when they crossed that spot, it's just a liquid pool of things. Yeah. So we know that something happened. Hopper's probably not dead. Uh, and there's a few other things that go into this, because, yeah, Hopper could have jumped through the gate. That's easy. Now, he could be the guy in Russia, maybe because they're trying to open up the gate. He goes on one end, comes out on another, and not necessarily in the upside down for a amount of time. But there's something specific about the end credits that made me think about this, and it's the fact that when Eleven's reading the final letter from Hopper about, like, you know, just keep the door open. Yeah. Uh, it's being played with uh, Peter Gabriel's cover of Heroes. Yes. Now, this song is important in the series because it played one other time, and this was when they discovered Will was dead, his body. Now, it just so happened that that song played over a fake death. Will yeah. wasn't dead, he was alive, and they faked his death, and the song was the song that was played over it. Well, the ring, reading the letter that Hopper left, they're playing the exact same song over the scene, well, she's reading a letter and like having heart fold, like, oh, this is the end, uh, Hopper's dead. So that the you don't pick that song accidentally, I feel, considering yeah. the connotations it has within the series. Yes. That song is very keyed in for a lot of fans because uh, especially in the series, the first time that song's played, it's over Will's supposed death. But all of the fans and people watching the show at that point know that Will isn't dead. So that song is King people's mind to go, fuck you, I know what's going on here, he's not actually dead. So the moment that song starts playing over, like, Hopper's supposed death, if you're paying attention as a fan, that should be your thought process of, fuck you, I know he's not dead. Exactly. So I feel like, even though he, he's not necessarily the one that's in Russia, I feel like he's out there somewhere, and that could tie in even to moving forward, because uh, the showrunners have even said, like, they would like to do four or five seasons, they don't want to go past that because they have a story they want to tell, Yeah. and it... They don't think it'll take longer than the five-season period. Which, thank God for that. I love it when a showrunner says, here's the story we want to tell. Let's not take it any further just for yeah. the sake of making money. So I can definitely see the next season revolving around something happens. Kind of like uh, at the end of season one and the season two, there is the, oh, Eleven's still alive out there because the Egos went missing. Yeah. And then this one could be something happens where they get information that, oh, maybe Hopper's still alive. Maybe it's Joyce gets a photo or something along those lines. Uh, or Eleven gets a part of her powers back and gets a vision and sees Hopper. I kind of really want season four to involve... So it starts off with them not knowing that Hopper's alive and them being under the belief that Hopper's dead. At some point throughout the shenanigans that ensues during season four, they realize Hopper's alive. But I also really want Hopper to become indoctrinated by the Russians at some point, like during the in-between time. And so Hopper to come back, but not as an ally at the beginning, as an enemy. And it ends up being Eleven using her mind powers that she's already demonstrated that brings him back over to the good side. Oh, definitely. And moving forward, this is more into the theory of things, but uh, so far, the series has 
each season's been a very homage to something specifically. Yeah. So season three, uh, four, uh, one, I mean, was kind of like a break of a few things. So it very much had like a monster squad feel to it. Uh, uh, but also at the same time for the teens, it was very much kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street, I felt. Yeah. Uh, and I would say for season three specifically, it had a very strong Terminator feel to oh, it. Oh, God, that Russian. Every time he was on, I was surprised and they weren't playing the Terminator theme song. So uh, they're very clearly using 80s uh, films to like kind of like show off some things in the storyline. And there's a line at the end when they're talking about, oh, am I going to see you again? Because Joyce has taken the kids and Eleven, who she's kind of adopted now, I guess, off to, out of town. They're like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll be back Christmas, Easter, something like that. So part of me is hoping that they'll do Easter and where they keep mentioning Phoebe Cates, have a Gremlins version for the next season, what takes place around the holidays. Because imagine that it's just like a bunch of like little demodogs like overrunning the town. That That's one idea. I have to double check when this movie came out to see if it fits within the timeline of the show. I'm positive that uh, Gremlins was in the 80s. Oh, not Gremlins. Another movie I want to throw out as my hypothetical what the next series could be an homage to. Now, we're looking for that. Now, they did mention Thanksgiving as well. I can't think of like, a prominent, like, horror-esque movie from the 80s that involves Thanksgiving. So, in 1998, a movie came out. Uh, this movie involved Arnold Schwarzenegger, which they already kind of had this episode being, or this season being dedicated, or not dedicated to, but having an homage to in the form of the Russian who runs around and is practically unkillable except through extreme catastrophic machine failure. In the late 80s, a different movie came out with Arnold Schwarzenegger in a very different role where he was twins with Danny DeVito oh, and the geez. movie's called Twins. <laughs> I really want them to do a season that's an homage to Twins and that Hopper is brought back as this pinnacle of human form, but also with, like, this seedy Russian guy <laughs> who just wants to make a lot of money. For a second, I thought you were going to go Predator. Like, I'm like, oh, there's another movie without Schwarzenegger. I was like, it's going to be Predator. He's going to say Predator. No. You want with twins? I want with twins. I want them to do a twin season. <laughs> Have you seen Twins, Matthew? No. It's phenomenal. Uh, now, imagine Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger are twins. Yes. I can't imagine that. Now, imagine also that there was a possible sequel called Triplets, where it found that they had another sibling who was also in the triplets, and it was Eddie Murphy. Yep. So, uh, Eddie Murphy, Danny DeVito, and Arnold Schwarzenegger are canonically triplets in this movie universe. <laughs> that makes no sense. I disagree with you. Watch the movies. It makes 100% okay. sense. Okay. So, we're just going to... The gonna... trick is, uh, for Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was the child of, like... 20 different guys to make them, him the pinnacle of human evolution. It was a weird movie, man, right? Okay. I kind of just hope that they only go with the Gremlins idea. I don't want to see that. That's fair. Um, uh, of course, go with, you know, corrupted uh, Hopper and, like, being evil and brainwashed or whatever they need. I can definitely see the Russians in the future using, if, they, if that is him in the cage, using him as their way in to finally get into the Upside Down. Yeah, And if that is the way that they do it, their four is like bringing back Hopper, five then becomes the big ultimate showdown with the Mind Flayer. Yeah. Now, of course, there's also theories about uh, what the Upside Down is, like you want to talk about. The one I've heard a bit is that it's the future. Yeah, so that is one of the theories. So let's just start talking about the Upside Down. So in the show, the Upside Down is a different... It's described as a parallel de a dimension... Uh, that's identical to our realm, except it's filled with monsters. Everything's covered in these weird tendrils and rot. Um, and it seems somehow connected to Eleven, even though not directly. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of different theories out there about what the 
uh, upside down really is. And one of the more prevalent ones out there is it's the future and that something that happens over the course of time causes Earth to become like the upside down. And so when they're going through the gate, they're not actually traveling to a parallel dimension. They're traveling forwards in time or backwards in time if they're going from the upside down back to Earth. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the more popular theories out there. I don't buy it just because, for one thing, the mall that season three is centered around is built between seasons two and three, and there's no evidence of the mall existing as a part of town in the, any of the shots we see in season two. And on top of that, if you take into effect the Mind Flayer, it doesn't it become kind of like a closed loop for it then in that case because it coming back in time would uh would clearly be what turns the world into the upside down yeah it's the mind flare is trying to turn the world into the upside down so that it can inhabit the world but then if this is in fact the future that's just the mind flare is trying to go back in time so that it can exist in the future and it's just like where did it fucking come from exactly that's strange now kind of going into where there are it came some stranger things in the show though matt now going on where it came from uh, I knew now there was a prominent theory that literally everything about the Upside Down, the Mind Flayer, the Demogorgon, is all from Eleven's mind, which was one I was more inclined to, be inclined to believe. Now, I don't know if I like would say that's a good bet anymore, just with all the stuff we've been seeing about this world, but definitely in the first season, you can definitely see it's like, oh, these creatures all that are just made for, like, it was her mind breaking that essentially created these creatures yeah. in reality. And you could also see that in kind of maybe the Upside Down is a snapshot of Hawkins when she first made contact with the Demigorgon. So there's another theory I really like, although I don't think it's true either, which is that the the Upside Down is essentially a gateway dimension where it isn't really its own dimension. It's more so like the dimension directly adjacent to Earth that anything from another dimension has to travel through in order to get to Earth. So the Mind Flare and all the Demogorgons and stuff aren't actually from the Upside Down. They're from some hellscape dimension. And in trying to get to Earth, they ended up in the Upside Down. And that was as close as they could get to Earth until kind of Eleven broke this shell and allowed them to start passing through the Veil into Earth. And so the main kind of problem with this theory is that given that the show only wants to do one or two more seasons, that is not a lot of time to dive into the multiple uh, parallel dimensions that you would need to go to for this gateway to make any sense or purpose in the show. So it's much more likely that they're only going to care about this one parallel dimension. Yeah, I think it's safe to assume that the Demogorgon, the Mind Flayer, all that are native to the Upside Down. And then what is the Upside Down is more of the question yeah. to ask. There's also the question of like, it seems like, for whatever reason, everyone who's a scientist in the show seems to think that the Upside Down is some source of limitless power. Because, <laughs> like, the scientists in Season 1, they accidentally make the gateway, and then they're more focused with getting Eleven back than caring about the Upside Down in itself. Which is fine. In Season 2, when new scientists take over the lab, rather than trying to close down the gate to this hell dimension that <laughs> they have... Definitive proof is full of monsters that want to kill humans and end life on Earth. Um, they're more so concerned with sending probes through and studying it and having full understanding of this parallel dimension. Why? Why do you want to know more about it? Just close the gate and move on with your life. And then in Season 3, the Russians are now obsessed with it. Which means just like, so many people out there are like, hmm, we have a portal to hell. Let's see how well we can open up this gate and get a better understanding of what's on the other side of this gate. 
It's fucking hell. You don't need to know anything about it. Close the gate. Move. I all mean, at the life. same time, the Russians might be just trying to open the gate under Hawkins to just destroy the U.S. Yeah, just weaponize. Maybe, it. but uh, at the beginning, they do try and create it in Russia, yeah. which is a weird thing to do. <laughs> Unless we go back to what you said earlier, and they were just experimenting off of some energy spike that they detected from America, which is why I think it is some weird energy source where they're. Every time the gates open, it radiates energy, and they're just trying to understand the source of that energy so they can kind of harness it to power atomic bombs for the rest of time. That's probably what they're doing, given that this takes place during the Cold War. Well, on the topic of the Russians in the series, they're kind of ridiculous when you think about it, too. The only Russian who's really menacing is the Terminator Man. All the rest of them seem either woefully incompetent or not really caring about what's going on. Alexei just wanted to, you know... Have the American dream, in a sense, and drink his Slurpees. Uh, and then, essentially, what I'm getting at is the whole Russian plan kind of gets blown up by Dustin accidentally hearing one of their signals. And then the reason they find out what's happening is because of the merry-go-round music in the background. And I, I remember at first, I was like, oh, that's cool, they figured it out. And I thought, wait a second. He was sending a very encrypted Russian message in the open next to a merry-go-round in a public mall. Yeah. So and no one caught on. <laughs> Yeah, so, first of all, the Russian we get the most information or get to see the most of is Alexei, who literally is essentially an adult human who's more of a child and that he just wants to eat fast food and watch cartoons, and that's his whole life's ambition. Not a great representation of an entire culture, but whatever. Uh, and then, yes, there's the fact that it's one thing to suggest that, like, kids happen to hear, overhear uh, the weird Russian transmission because they had the most powerful radio transmitter in the entire world and they happen to be close enough to pick it up. Sure, great coincidence, the kids are the ones who picked it up. The fact that the merry-go-round music is in the background is the most mind-blowing thing ever because it means that not only were they near the merry-go-round, they had to be near it while someone was riding on top <laughs> of it. So, like, a child was riding it and a Russian just starts speaking his Russian code into yeah, his radio transmitter. Because at the same time, we know that it doesn't make sound without the coin in it because it's when Steve's passing by, he's like, wait a second, does anyone have a coin? He puts it in to start playing music. And that's when he connects <laughs> with music. It wasn't them in the mall after hours either because it wouldn't have been on. So if we have two possibilities. He waited till a child was on the merry-go-round to give his secret code or... In order to give a secret code, he's like, man, it's a little too quiet in here. I need some background music and put some coins into the merry-go-round. Or whoever was making the underground lab just uh, made a mistake with their soundproofing. <laughs> One-way soundproofing, the wrong way. Well, they can't send the message from the lab, the base. Like, I can understand. Okay, you can't send it from the underground lab because the audio doesn't work that well. Yeah, we've already seen that. Like, the only way the audio would be transmitted from the underground lab to the above ground is if the person above ground had that giant tower on the top of a hill. So yeah. they can't send the radio transmissions from the underground lab to everyone up above. But it means, like, what? They told a guy a message and gave him a walkie-talkie and told him to go above ground. And then he was like, oh, I'm in the middle of the mall. I'm sure this small child can't understand Russian. Let me say it into this radio here. Sure, she also won't realize that it's Russian and, like, point out the fact that it's weird that a guy is speaking <laughs> Russian. a Russian guy it. speaking in the middle of the small There's a Russian guy speaking Russian during the middle of the Cold War in this Middle America mall. Nothing to worry about. Let's not call attention to that fact. So, it was just... It was so obviously the Russians involved that no one caught on to. And 
I guess you can kind of go away with, okay, well, the mayor was kind of in on it. But at the same time, like, these Russians were walking around the mall with machine guns. In fact, when the people are coming out of the movie theater that uh, they were hiding out of, they had machine guns stopping people asking for IDs. And these were Russians doing it. You think the American, like, it's one thing for a small child riding on the carousel ride to not catch on. These were a bunch of adults seeing, what was it, Back to the Future? Yeah, yeah it was Back to the Future. Seeing Back to the Future being stopped by Russians as they're leaving the movie theater and asked questions. And it's just like, what? How is no one calling attention to the fact that Russians are interrogating them as they leave a movie theater? And why would they be interrogating them? Anyway. Well, they were trying to track down Dustin and Steve. Okay. Yeah, because they believe they had information that they, uh, both, like they were working for someone and that their operation under the mall was blown. So they needed to catch them before they left the mall. So that's why they were stopping people coming out of the theater, because that's where they were kind of laying low in. Uh, speaking of that, we were talking about some great moments earlier. Another great moment is while Steve is still high as a kite on whatever drugs they gave him down in the Russian base, and Dustin's like, we gotta get out of here, we'll go back to my home and lay low. And Steve's like, I don't know if we can go back to your home. Dustin's like, why, why? And he's like, because I kind of told him your whole full name and everything about <laughs> you while I was down there. He's like, what? Why did you do that? He's like, I don't know. It's a hell of a drug that I'm on right now. <laughs> oh, fine. Just give me your car keys. Oh, I don't have my car keys. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was great. So many things. So another thing I kind of want to talk about is some of the characters that were more so introduced in this season. There wasn't a lot of new characters introduced, but there and was... some of them weren't fully new characters either. Some characters that were just given a little bit more screen time and a little bit more understanding, so... We got a lot more knowledge about Billy. Billy's just kind of a dick in season two. And yeah. he's just... It's a little bit hinted and a little bit not hinted and a little bit overt that Billy's just kind of a huge racist. And the fact that Max is hanging out with Lucas is like the biggest problem that Billy has with yeah. anything going on in season two. Now, to be fair, they also gave a bit of a hint that his dad is quite the asshole as well. Yeah. Billy's dad kind of beats Billy a little bit from what is implied. Um, but we get a lot more of a background on Billy and a lot more information of who Billy is as a character. Even before he's flayed, we get to learn a bit more about him. Uh, which I think is really cool, because we get to learn a lot about him, even if he is the one of the main antagonists of the season. We also get introduced to Robin, and I think Robin was phenomenal. Oh, Robin was one of my favorite parts about this whole season. And, like, everything about her between, like... Steve and Dustin's private conversations about how Steve has a great girl in front of him and he just has to realize it. And Steve being like, nope, that's not the kind of relationship we have. And Dustin's being like, trust me, it is. To Steve finally being high as a kite, being like, maybe this is the kind of relationship we have. And Robin being like, nope. And that was another like really well-played character moment when Steve is like, Robin, I think I like you, except less directly and with more words. Yeah, and then she gives a whole analogy of like, that girl was looking at you and I wanted to look at me. He's like... But that's a girl. And she's like, come on, Steve. He's like, oh! <laughs> and, like, you have that really powerful moment there where they're both sitting in the bathroom stall and Robin's clearly, like, waiting for Steve to clue into the fact and then, like, react to the fact. And, like, Steve's reaction, which was amazing and it made me love him so much more, was like, really? Her? You could do so much better than her. She's such a shitty person. <laughs> her dream was to be a singer. And she's like, yeah, of course. She's got dreams. She's like... But she's such a bad singer! <laughs> Which is like, it's funny too, because Steve starts off the series as very much like the asshole cool guy, but he's had like the best character development through all three seasons. Yeah. yeah, we've seen some characters have really great character development and go from like really 
he, he was an asshole in season one, but he was a really well written asshole. And yeah. then by season three, he's probably my favorite character in the entire oh, definitely. series. Um, Will, meanwhile, in season one, goes from a pretty likable kid to just like a whiny shit in season three. And you I, mean Mike, I said Will didn't. <laughs> yeah. I meant Mike. Mm-hmm. Will does not have a lot of character development, but I think the amount of trauma he's gone through is enough to explain well, why he see. doesn't in, have... In a- season one, Will was dead, quote-unquote, for most of the season. Uh, and then in season two, he, he was dealing with the trauma as well as being mind-controlled and having the ability to warp between the upside-down yeah. and reality just randomly. So season three was the first season we get to see him fully kind of be himself and not be someone else. And he just wants to play D&D. He just wants to play D&D. And, like, ev- all the other kids were like, man, we got over that two seasons ago. Like, we're no longer about the D&D life. And he's like, I haven't been a person for the last two seasons. Let me enjoy D&D for the love of God. Now, uh, one thing I will say that's always been pretty cool about this is the D&D game always seems to foreshadow something about the ending of the series, too. Uh, yeah. And in this one, uh, the only time where they actually played D&D was, well, the wise is running the game for them. And they're not really interested in it. They're more interested in the girls that just dumped them. Yeah, and then but- it ends with the kind of line of... What are you going to do? You're trapped in here. And uh, Mike's like, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll end the session right here and now by saying we me and Lucas the- burned down the village, or burned down the building, sacrificing ourselves to save the town. We're remembered as heroes. And that's pretty much exactly what Hopper does at the end. Yeah. Well, it's not just Hopper, but Billy also does pretty much the same thing. Both of them fall, sacrifice, sacrifice them- themselves to save a group of people, just like the D&D session. Or, and also what they had to be using to defeat the Demogorgon. And, the game op- uh, the uh, season opens up in season one of them fighting a demogorgon in the uh, session. It's like, oh no, it's the demogorgon, and then they beat it. Yeah, I think that one is a little bit of foreshadowing, but also less foreshadowing and more so the genesis of why they call it the demogorgon because yeah. that just happened to be the mini that was nearest to Eleven when she picked it up. It's like we're fighting this, we're calling it a demogorgon. Everyone knows that, and then Eleven's like, ah, there's a monster. Uh, this one, and everyone's like, the demogorgon. Even though, like, Demogorgon is not an accurate description of the monster they have at all. Because for those of you who play D&D or know anything about the Demogorgon, the Demogorgon is a creature with two baboon heads who hate each other and want to kill each other. Yeah. Even though they're two heads on the same body. Not an accurate description of the Demogorgon in the show in the slightest. Oh, definitely not. But that's still pretty fun. And another thing about the characters, too, is they all tend to... We got a lot of information about how the characters react based on their classes, too, in that first season. Yeah. Where Will the Rise, who, like, he's the smart one, the knowledgeable one. He's the wizard of the group. Yeah. And he ends up playing that role quite a bit throughout the series, uh, like, being having a sense for certain things and things happening. Uh, Lucas is, I believe, the uh, the rogue. And he, he's iconic for using his slingshot and all the things and, like, wanting to get up to shenanigans. Like, what well, if we strap three of these uh, fireworks together, it's a stick of TNT. Yeah, he's very much so the one who wants to scrounge explosives together. He wants to pilfer the gas station that they're in for explosives to kill the Demogorgon with. We, uh, I don't remember other people's classes. What was Dustin? I think he was a paladin? I believe so. Yeah, which makes sense. His whole deal is he's just trying to protect everyone else around him. Yeah, and even befriends one of the Demodogs in Season 2. Yeah, which is classic paladin bullshit. (laughs) You gotta give everyone a chance. Yeah. Even monsters. Monsters (laughs) deserve a chance, too. Feed him uh, three musketeer bar. Name him the name of a musketeer. D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan. The worst of the musketeers. (laughs) And then, uh, what's it, for other new characters, uh, we also had Erica kind of take a bigger role in this one. Yep, uh, 
Erica became a lot more of a character. She had some of my least favorite moments, though. Like, her arguing with them about, like, her reward for going through the vents. And she's like, we're in a capitalist country. Fuck those Russians. I want free ice cream for life. And I was like, just put all your cards on the table instead of trying to, like, weasel your way into getting them to declare your price for you. There's also her earlier on in the season with every time they're trying to decode a Russian message, her interrupting them asking for free samples of ice cream. <laughs> her whole character drive this season is wanting free ice cream. Also, oh, didn't she just pretty much tell her brother to go kill himself in the opening? Yeah. Um, there's also moments where, like, she realizes that, like, the gate was a thing and all the shit that went down. And, like, the only part she doesn't believe in it is the fact that Lucas was at all involved yeah, in the story. Yeah, that did anything useful. <laughs> was there any other new characters that I'm not thinking of? I mean, there's Dr. Alexi, but we already discussed yeah, him. Yeah, there's Alexi, the Terminator, um, I guess the mayor. Yeah, the mayor... Because he wasn't in the previous seasons, uh, and he's just kind of more prominent as of now. Yeah, so season kind of opens with... Everyone being mad at him because he essentially sold a bunch of people's land to the makers of the mall, who at this point we don't realize were Russians. And the mall is now putting everyone else out of business by providing a single centralized source of commerce. So everyone and all their small businesses are being put out of business by this mall to the point where, like, Nancy wants to write a story about it. And, like, the people at the newspaper start making fun of her for wanting to write a story about it. The part where they're like, I like it, the story about, like, uh, the failing middle America, but first, can we talk about the missing mustard on my sandwich? Come on, Nancy, what's wrong with you? Where's the mustard? You calling her Nancy Drew. Now, I gotta point out one thing. Fucking, John's just trying to get film developed, and she keeps opening that goddamn door. He's like, God damn it, Nancy, you know! You know to wait until I'm done developing film to open the door, otherwise the film is wasted and useless. I'm mad about it now, just thinking about yeah. it. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, it sucks that all those people are kind of assholes to you, but come on, John is clearly developing... The light is on! You don't open that door! I also really like the conversation that John and Nancy have in the middle of Season 3 about privilege, and we kind of see the two sides to it, where, like, Nancy's complaining to John because he has male privilege, and, like, the people at the newspaper all take him super seriously, and, like, she doesn't get treated as anything other than a sandwich fetcher. And then he's like, yeah, but you have your own entirely different perspective on privilege. I have a job right now while going to high school to pay off my family's mortgage because my family is so impoverished. And my mom having her one job isn't enough to pay for her whole family. Which I'm pretty sure she owns that shop. Yeah, I've never seen another person in that shop since season one. In season one, there was a boss, but then from season two onwards, there has been never a single other person. Except for occasionally Hopper having a conversation with her in the Yeah, getting the, advice on being a parent. Yeah. And trying to ask her out. Yeah. That is all we get for uh, kind of Joyce in that shop. And the fact that Hopper's the only other person we explain uh, we see in the shop probably explains why she's not making enough money to pay off the mortgage by herself. But yeah, we get that conversation about privilege where it's like Nancy's trying to explain to John that he's the only one who has pri- or he has privilege and can't understand things her way because he's a man and he gets taken seriously in the workplace. And he's like, yeah, but you have privilege and you can't understand things my way. Because you have a father with a good enough job that, like, no one else in your family has to work. And Will's probably going to have to start working in, like, a year or two to help pay off the mortgage because our family's so impoverished. And it's just kind of, like, this duality between the two people arguing about not have or the other one having privileges that they don't. And this kind of realization that, like, they come from different backgrounds. And both of them do have their own sort of privilege. But, like, 
it's a problem because the other ones don't realize it's hard to see privileges you do have and it's a lot easier to see the privileges that you don't is kind of what the argument that's being made i don't know it was a fun little lesson in privilege for (laughs) watchers of the show so out of uh, all the kind of storylines we followed in season three was there one that you liked the most or in matt's case one that sounds fun I like Hopper's storyline, and I want to see what happens to him, because I don't believe he's dead. I think a lot of people are pretty confident on Hopper still being alive out there somewhere. Yeah. I think my favorite storyline was definitely the uh, Dustin and Steve and Robin and Erica kind of investigating the secret underground Russian base. Oh, I completely agree. uh, Just from the moment Dustin and Steve got reunited... And, like, had that, like, fancy handshake and yeah. all that. It was like, okay, this is definitely going to be the fun storyline. The moment it, you realize that the dynamic between Ju- uh, Dustin, Steve, and Robin, and, like, Dustin and Steve getting super happy to see each other again and, like, referring to each other by their last names, and Robin just immediately cutting in with, how many fr- uh, children do you have as friends? Like, that interaction, you're like, this is going to be the story to watch. This, like, the quips that are going to happen here is going to be fantastic. Yeah, and then I'd say after that, then it would be Hopper and Joyce's storyline. But Hopper has always been a part of an interesting storyline, regardless of what's going on in any of the seasons. Yes. I'd say my least favorite was definitely the kid's story. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because Mike just kept pissing me off yeah. all the goddamn time. Mike, why are you on screen right now? I could be watching anybody else. <laughs> And uh, actually, talking about the kids, too, there was only one Ego reference for uh, Eleven, and she didn't even eat them. Yeah. It Season was, 1 and 2, she's, like, all about the Ego. She she literally steals Egos from a store. She eats Egos frozen because yeah. she doesn't know anybody. And then and this one, what, we get, like, oh, she's just sitting in front of Egos to concentrate. She yeah. should be able to concentrate with all those Egos behind no, her. it's because of the Egos she could concentrate. <laughs> if I do a good job, we'll get all those Egos. Sensory <laughs> deprivation. All she could think about was those Egos. <laughs> And uh, then uh, a big development moving into the next season as well as Eleven doesn't have her powers anymore. Yeah, it's hinted at that uh, something from the Mind Flayer's attack against her when it grabs her leg. She can't use her powers anymore. Now, uh, uh, going into that too, I feel like that's also an indicator that Hopper is still alive. Yes. Because it would easily be solved if she could just, oh, you know, I remember Hopper and then think about it and then end up, oh, Hopper is in a jail cell in Russia. Yeah. I think that's what's going to be the genesis of her powers coming back is probably them having some realization that something's not right and the Russians are after her and then her thinking about Hopper only to like then be transported and see Hopper as the indoctrinated Russian who's after them. And then that moment, I think that'd be a really cool moment. Well, at the same time too, like it was even acknowledged by the characters in it that they rely very heavily on Eleven's powers. So removing her powers going into what's ever coming up severely handicaps them against whatever they're going against. Because she could do pretty much anything with her powers, and there was, like, a few badass moments where she pulls the bullet out of her own leg with her powers. Yeah. But that could also be the uh, the whole idea for the next season going forward, is that they can't rely on this, essentially, I, god mode until maybe, true. like, a final climax. The characters, uh, the other characters aside from Eleven, help, but they don't really do much. Yes. So I feel they like... More, like... They more so act as, like, a distraction... To keep whatever they're fighting from focusing solely on Eleven. That's like their sole purpose in any of those crazy fight scenes. Is like they distract the Demogorgon so that Eleven has a chance to do what she has to do. Now yeah, at best maybe John or Nancy will have a shotgun that they'll help with. But aside from that, they don't really do much. So I feel like yeah, season four will, should anyways, focus more on the other characters being more useful. And not have them just kind of be sideline characters, like the Dragon Ball Z Goku effect. Cool idea for potential season five 
is the Russians, like, continue their explorations into the Upside Down. Uh, they discover the Mind Flayer, realize what a threat the Mind Flayer is, and then that ends up being what causes the end of the Cold War, is the Russians and the Americans, like, having the <laughs> sit-down of, like, we've got a much bigger problem in the form of the Mind Flayer, and it's the two superpowers working together to eliminate the mind flare and sending nukes through the gate. Sending nukes and a bunch of children. Yeah, sending nukes and children through the gate to eliminate. And then when the nukes go off, all the children get superpowers from the irradiation. It's funny because uh, going into a concept I was thinking, is like, man, Captain Planet, that's from the 80s, isn't it? It's like, my god, could you imagine if they tried to like do like some like 11 shares of powers with all the children? Yeah. Mike, hey there, Matt. Matt, you look like you're uh, having some mind-blowing thoughts that you want to share with the party. I know, I'm just... Uh... Thinking back to that horror tag and the fact that Eleven not having her powers anymore, there's no more shield, per se, for the rest of the characters going into the next season, so potentially they could move back to a more horror-esque setting. Because let's be honest, from what I've seen of the first three seasons through the recaps, season one seemed like the typical horror movie, this spooky thing that's just not right, you have no idea what it is, and it's slowly making itself more prominent. It drags people away. You see the corpses, or the one corpse mainly, and it's bursting through walls and chasing people. Season two, you have this huge monster that's a terrifying threat, but it's a big monster. You see it. It's not too terrifying. Mm -hmm. Season three, there's Russians under a mall. There's nothing really terrifying about that at all. And then there is... Especially with these Russians specifically. Yeah. And the Mind Flayer's back. Sure, that's scary. But you know the Mind Flayer. You know... A little bit more what it's capable of and what it's trying to do now it's nothing to be scared about but now that their shield's gone what's to save them from anything dangerous now i think it's the classic problem with horror is that the moment the horror or the more information you have about the kind of antagonist or the villain or the monster in any horror movie is the moment it start stops being so scary and starts being characters figuring out how to fight against this known quantity so I think now that we have more information about the Mind Flare, I think it's hard for them to jump back into the horror unless they create a new enemy above the Mind Flare. I think just because of that's every time you watch a horror movie, the moment they like reveal the villain is the moment things stop being scary. Oh, fair enough. And also going forward too, and to align with what Matt was saying about the shield's gone, uh, most TV shows are also very hesitant to kill off children, but the shield's gone and they're pretty much teenagers now. So, are, do you think we might be seeing some of the characters get axed in the next season? Oh, wouldn't it be great if, like, Hopper comes back, Hopper, like... <laughs> he kills Mike. Yeah, he kills the <laughs> shit out of Mike. Like, Mike does oh. his whiny bitch thing. Let's stop mincing words. Finn Wolfhard does his whiny shit thing. And Hopper's just like, cool, I got a gun. And he shoots him right in the head. Oh, do you have, a, like, a vendetta against Finn Wolfhard? Nah, Finn Wolfhard's great. He seems fine. <laughs> they got really personal there for a second. But no, I love the idea of, like, uh, Hopper coming back, coming back to his old self, and then being like, hey, I know you guys have had time without me. I think it's time for us to reestablish some boundaries. And Finn's like, man, we're past this. Me and Eleven, we've boned multiple times since you've been gone. And Hopper's like, cool, I still have a gun, and just kills Finn right there. Well, at the same time, too. Or sorry, it kills Mike right then. Th that could be the catalyst for her getting her powers back, too. Like, seeing Mike die in any capacity might get her, like, you know... The rage, no, moment, and she ends up, like, crushing whatever kills him. Yeah. Goodbye, Hopper. <laughs> Hopper kills Mike, L kills Hopper, 
it's then revealed that uh, Eleven's biological parents was actually Hopper and not the woman from season two. Plot twist. It's already kind of one of those fan theories that's out there that not necessarily Eleven, but that Hopper's kit daughter didn't actually die in the drowning accident. But because we've already seen that the shady government organization can fake bodies with wills, that Hopper's child is actually one of the first ten kids that uh, before Eleven. And so I like the idea of like Eleven killing Hopper only to realize that she was actually Hopper's child who was kidnapped and replaced with a dummy corpse in the way back. That'd definitely be interesting, but I don't think they'll go the way of killing him. I don't buy Eleven's hands anyways. No. But it would be fun. Sure. Uh, just them getting, like, halfway through the final season, and then them just becoming real callous with the lives of characters, and just being like, cool, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Essentially doing the Game of Thrones thing, mm-hmm. and just, like, taking characters that everyone's built attachments to, and being like, I don't need you for another season, so you get to die now. Well, whatever happens, I just hope the next season goes in the way of uh, not going back to the horror roots, so it gives <laughs> me a little more encouragement to actually watch the series. Yeah, I can see that happening. We're just going to have to force them to watch it. We'll just tie you down and watch season four of uh, Stranger Things together. All right. So with that, I just want to thank you all for listening to our podcast. As a quick reminder, our podcast can be found on all major podcast services. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anything you can think of, you can probably find our podcast there. Make sure to tune in two weeks from now to find out what our next uh, episode's about and help us decide together whether or not our podcast is going to be about that. Uh, Remember to like, comment, and if this podcast service has some subscription format, subscribe just so that you get told when our episode comes out. Oh, I feel like such a bad YouTube personality telling people to like, comment, and subscribe. But it is so insanely helpful if we get those metrics of whether or not you like the podcast and giving us comments so we know what to do and what not to do. Uh, and beyond that, remember, you can always email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. You send us an email to that email address, we will probably read it out in some capacity on the uh, podcast and maybe talk about what you want us to talk about, or maybe we'll just make fun of you. Who knows? We're, I'm, I'm a bad person. The other two will probably defend you while I make fun of you. Eh. That's probably what's going to happen. Debatable. So remember, just email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Finn Wolfhart does his whiny shit thing. <laughs>